Hello and welcome to the Battle Cry podcast with Mark Meckler. Catch the original live broadcast Sunday nights at 8pm Eastern. Go to conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. And now, here's the Battle Cry with Mark Meckler. Oh, I'm so excited to be with you guys. I didn't make it last Sunday night. It's been a wild couple of weeks. You know, my daughter, Lucy, got married, for those of you who don't know. So she's now off in her own life and her own thing. I mean, she has been for a while, but she's my first one to get married. We had an incredible wedding up in northern Michigan, Traverse City. It was beautiful. Uh, Thanks to everybody who welcomed us there. Thanks to all the family who came. It was a perfect day. You know, if you're a dad and your daughter gets married, the best thing you can hope to hear is this. At the end of the night, we're sitting at a table, and I said, well, and she said, I wouldn't change a moment. Oh, man, that's the best. Hey, if you don't know who I am, my name's Mark Meckler. This is the Sunday Night Battle Cry. I'm excited to be here with you. I'm excited you're here with me. We got a lot to talk about tonight, and I'm going to do something a little bit different than what I usually do. Usually, I spend a half hour just riffing on the news and then answering your questions. We're going to do a little bit of news tonight uh, because there's some things I think need to be brought up, but mostly what I'm going to do is talk about convention estates. Sometimes I get people who say, well, how come you're only riffing on the news and you don't talk that much about COS? And the real reason is because I talk about convention estates all week, every week, pretty much every day. And so once in a while, I like to do some basic just news stuff and culture stuff and things like that. But today, because of your questions, because of the things you guys always ask, because I try to be responsive, we're going to talk sort of A to Z convention of states. But first, there's a couple of things we got to talk about. Number one, I just got to say, don't forget Afghanistan. Like this is exactly what Biden wanted. He's created the greatest foreign policy debacle in the probably in the history of the United States, certainly in my lifetime. Americans are left behind. We still have no idea how many Americans are left behind. A lot of Afghans who put their lives on the line helping Americans and American troops over the years, they got left behind. So it's really bad over there, and we shouldn't forget about that, and you shouldn't forget about that. Biden wants that out of the news. I think that's why he went full metal jacket on the vax mandate stuff because he was trying to blow Afghanistan out of the news. At least I think that was part of the reason. Don't forget the people who left behind in Afghanistan. I talked to somebody in the media this week who was asking me a bunch of questions about what's going to happen in the elections in 22. And he wanted to know, will the American people forget about Afghanistan? Will they forget about the VAX mandate? Will they forget about things that sort of slip into the past? And I reminded him that as one of the originators, one of the uh, first sort of original leaders in the Tea Party movement, I hate to say I launched it because I didn't, nobody did, but as one of the early adopters in the Tea Party movement, I got asked that question a lot in 09. You're really, our voters really going to remember all this stuff in 2010. And you might remember we had the largest swing class elected since 1938 in the House of Representatives. I would predict right now, all things staying equal, Republicans have a larger win in 2022 than they did in 2010. So yeah, they'll remember, as long as you don't forget, don't forget Afghanistan. That's really important. All right, I want to move on to some stuff happening in the news that happened to catch my attention. It seems on the radical left these days that there's actually a deficit in real racism. In other words, there's a demand for racist incidents in order to keep the base fired up that exceeds the actual real racist incidents that they want to say are happening out there to keep their base fired up. And you can see this, this happened all over the country. It's been going on, going on. I mean, you guys all know the story of Jesse Smollett in Chicago and all this stuff, but there's a whole bunch of stuff that's been going on recently, which is, is just incredible to me. So we just saw in Missouri, there was a school incident 
where at a couple of high schools in Missouri, some racist graffiti was scrawled in the schools. And the reality is it turned out it was a black student that did it. I, and here's what the most incredible part to me is. A thousand students walked out, the principal made statements, the school board made statements, like everybody's gotta make a statement and say how horrible it is. They don't say, we're looking into it, we're trying to figure out if this is real, we're trying to figure out, find the people responsible. That It's basically just assumed that if some white supremacist did this stuff, in essence, in what actually happened is it was a black student. Even after they find out it was a black student, they treat it as an incident of racism, as opposed to the hoax it actually was. Here's another one. Uh, it turns out a white KKK member was making racially motivated threats, is what they said. White KKK member making racially motivated threats to burn down houses and kill neighbors. Turns out to be a black woman. This is in a Georgia neighborhood. They were terrorized by a person claiming to be a white male member of the Ku Klux Klan. However, police now say the person making racially motivated threats to burn down the houses in the neighborhood and kill people is actually a black woman. This is from The Blaze. Last December, residents of the Brookmont subdivision of Douglasville began receiving racially charged letters in their mailboxes. The handwritten notes claimed to be from a six-foot-tall white male with a long red beard who was a member of the KKK. Now, that's just weird on the surface, right? Can you imagine... Like you're going to write a racist note and you go, by the way, I'm writing you this racist note. I want you to know I'm six foot tall. I have a big red beard and I'm a member of the KKK. Uh, that just doesn't sound right. The notes threatened to burn down their houses and kill them and said they didn't belong in the neighborhood, said Detective Nathan Shoemaker. The notes, which used the N-word and talked about hanging people, were received by at least seven black residents in the suburb about 25 miles from Atlanta. This is really bad stuff. I don't want to minimize this. This is horrifying right, that anybody would use this kind of language, make these kind of threats is absolutely horrifying. These letters were delivered in the middle of the night, makes it even scarier. You, you had a resident who alerted the media to it. But on September 6th, law enforcement found evidence linking the terroristic letters to the home of Teresha Lucas, a 30-year-old black female. The detectives gathered enough evidence to obtain a search warrant. And during the search, detectives found other evidence tying the suspect to the threatening notes. She was charged with eight counts of making terroristic threats, motive behind the hate hoax was not immediately released by the authority. What do you think the motive is? The motive is trying to gin up racist hatred. That's the motive. And thank God that these investigators stuck with it. Here's another one. There's a second hate hoax. This is from the same article near Atlanta. Uh, a black former Emory University employee was arrested and suspected writing the N-word and drawing swastikas on the university's autism center. A black hoax, right? This is unbelievable to me. This is a horrifying stuff. I understand why it causes people concern. It's really terrible. These are hoaxes. In May, a person of color created an Instagram account that spewed hateful racist messages. The incendiary post sparked a school walkout in Minnesota, but later revealed to be a hoax sent under false pretense. In April, racist and anti-Semitic graffiti featuring references to the Ku Klux Klan was found at Michigan's Albion College, which prompted students and staff members to walk out of school. The perpetrator who is black, admitted to writing the racist messages. See, here's the deal. We're not a racist country. I travel all over the country, all over, from the deep south to the far north to the Midwest. I was in California last week. Everywhere I go, I see the races getting along. Everywhere, in the airports, in restaurants, in churches, interracial couples, interracial friendships, Black, white, Hispanic, Asian, doesn't Jewish people like me, Christians, gay, straight, doesn't matter. We're pretty damn good at getting along. But that narrative doesn't serve the divisiveness of the left. They need you and I to hate each other. 
They want you and I to hate each other. This is why we have critical race theory, state-sponsored racism. They want black people to hate white people, white people to hate black people, Hispanics. I mean, th this is what they want. They want racial division. They want sexual division, gay, straight, black, white, male, female. They want religious division, atheists versus Christians versus Jews versus Muslim. They want the division. And inherently, we're just not that divided. That's just not how America works. When I travel, I often wonder, like, what America are they talking about? So there is this deficit of actual hate in America that requires that they invent it. Now, I'm going to say something very politically incorrect. If you want to see racial hatred because it's been fostered for so long, the African-American community self-identifies by polling itself as the most racially biased community the most racism. Now we get told by the media, by people on the left, that you can't be racist if you're a, quote, person of color, because it's something about power structure and a bunch of other Marxist, Marxist crap. But the reality is they've been fomenting racial hatred in communities of color for a long time. So here's my opinion about all of this. Let's just chill out. We actually like each other. We're actually way more similar than we are different. We're actually all made by the same God. We're made of the same flesh and blood. We live on the same earth. Most of us want the same things for our family, for our kids, for our communities. We want safe communities. We want good education. We want to get along. That's how most people are. So don't give in to all this hoax stuff on the left where they're inventing racist incidents because there are very few there. One big caveat to all this. Are there racists out there? Yep, absolutely. And they're idiots, racists that are white, racists that are black, racists that are Hispanic, racists that, they're idiots. But they're few and far between. So let's not buy into all this race, racist hoax, hoax BS. Let's just know that we're all human beings. We should all love each other. That's what we're commanded to do. Okay, so enough of the fake racism. Here's some good news, actually. Gavin Newsom, Governor Gav, has demanded that school kids now get the vaccination. Now, this is insane because kids basically don't get sick with COVID. They get COVID, maybe they get a cold, maybe they don't get any symptoms at all. There's virtually no deaths among kids. Now, that's not to say there are no deaths. There have been some, they're so statistically insignificant. Every death is significant, but statistically insignificant, less than the flu, less than pneumonia, less than cancer. It's not a crisis, and they're going to force all these kids to get vaccinated. That's not the good news. The good news is homeschool requests at record highs in California. So people want to get out. Parents doing the rational thing. They want to get out. They know it's not rational. They know there's no science. They know it's potentially dangerous for their kids to get this vaccine. So they're not getting vaccinated. They're pulling out and they're going to homeschool. You know why I think that's a great thing? Less dumb kids. Nowadays in California, you send your kids to the public school, you're going to educate dumb kids. You're going to educate indoctrinated kids. You're going to end up with kids that hate you, hate your country. You know, so there are kids that are exceptions. They can survive it. My kids survived public school, but it wasn't easy. And so the deal is what we got to do is pull our kids out of these schools, let the schools fail. So I think Gav, Gov Gav is doing us a favor by mandating vaccines. Let's watch California continue to be the failed experiment that it is today. I went back to California last week. I spoke at a big church in Sacramento. God bless you guys at Destiny Church. Love y'all. But it's tough there. 
I feel for these people. <clears throat> you know, I left California. A lot of these folks feel left behind. A lot of them stuck there. A lot of them staying because that's where they've been their whole lives. They're willing to stay and fight. God bless those who are willing to stay and fight. But man, it's a mess in California. I got off the airplane. I felt like a fugitive. It's a little bit scary. You know, I got there. I just kind of felt maybe I don't belong. Maybe they're going to be watching for me. Maybe the secret police are going to grab me as I get off the airplane. <laughs> of course, that didn't happen. That was just my paranoia. But I think it's headed that way in California. Mark Meckler is fighting every day to call the first ever Article 5 Convention of States to drain the swamp once and for all. Join Mark and millions of other Americans by signing the official petition at conventionofstates.com slash pod. And now back to the show. All right, now I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on to my current favorite subject other than talking about my family or Levi. I think he's back there. Can you see Levi on the couch back there? He blends in pretty well, but he's back there. All right, so my favorite subject other than those things is to talk about convention estates. A lot of you don't necessarily know what there is to know about convention estates. Let me just say this. Do you believe that the federal government is out of control? Now, I can't see you, but I can see thousands, tens of thousands of you going, yeah, of course, Mark, that's a stupid question. Federal government's out of control. Do you think we need term limits? Everybody's going, yeah, we need term limits. Do you think Congress is going to impose term limits on itself? No, of course not. What would you think about term limits on the deep state? What about these people inside the deep state, bureaucrats, staffers, judiciary? They're there forever. What would you think about term limits on them, too? Everybody's going, yeah, Mark, I like that idea. That's a good idea. So they're never going to impose that stuff on themselves, right? What would you think about fiscal restraints on the federal government? The idea that we could impose financial restraints on the federal government. We could impose a balanced budget amendment. We could impose generally accepted accounting principles. We could impose tax caps, spending caps, maybe tied to GDP or population plus inflation, something like that, right? What do you think about those things? Everybody's going, yeah, Mark, that sounds good. Okay, now here's my favorite. What do you think about the idea of limiting constitutionally the scope, the power, and the jurisdiction of the federal government. And you're going like, hallelujah. Like, let's get rid of the Department of Education, the Department of Energy, the Department of Commerce. The, how about the EPA? How about the USDA? How about the FDA? How about Fauci himself? The guy's ancient. He's 80 years old. He's been in the federal government for 400 years or something, right? So we have the power to do this. This is what's incredible. A lot of people don't realize this. Article 5 of the United States Constitution has two clauses. Both of them deal with how we can amend the Constitution of the United States of America. And the way that that works is either two house, two thirds of both houses of Congress propose an amendment and it goes out for ratification by 38 states, three quarters of the states, or you have two thirds of the states apply for a convention of states for the same things. Those three things I talked about are what we're pursuing right now. That's never been done in American history. It's unbelievable. We've never had a convention of states in American history, right? 240 plus years in, we've never had one. It's hard. It takes millions of people to want it. It takes two thirds of the states to agree on what to call it for. I told you the three things we're calling it for, and it's now happening in the United States of America. People once said it was impossible. Today, 15 out of the requisite 34 states have passed the resolution. I think Wisconsin's about to be number 16. We've Pass their assembly. We're moving into the Senate right now. I believe we have the votes. You look at Pennsylvania looks good. Ohio looks good. North Carolina looks good. South Carolina looks good. We are moving towards a convention of states in the United States of America. How does it work? Once 34 states call a convention of states, what happens is the states will gather in convention to discuss those three areas. Term limits on the federal government, fiscal restraints on the federal government, scope and jurisdictional restraints on the federal government. If 26 states can agree 
on a package of amendments or one amendment, whatever they want in those three areas, those amendments go out to the states for ratification using the same methodology that Congress can do if Congress proposes the amendments. It takes 38 states or three quarters of states to ratify. That's the process. A couple of questions that I get all the time. Mark, how do we get delegates to the convention? How are they chosen? The way that delegates are chosen is in true Federalist fashion. Every state will choose their own delegates. The state legislature chooses. How many delegates do they get? They get as many as they want. One, five, 50, 100, as many delegates as they want to send to convention, they can. But here's the key, and this is really important. History tells us one state, one vote. California, same amount of votes as New Hampshire. New Hampshire, same amount of votes as Texas. Texas, same amount of votes as Idaho. So it doesn't matter what state you come from, you're going to get one vote. If you send 100 delegates, that's fine. They're going to have to agree on what their vote is on anything that gets voted on. Delegation gets exactly one vote on everything. So when 26 states agree on something, that goes out. It takes 38 states to ratify. How does ratification work? It goes either Congress gets to decide to the state legislatures or ratif state ratifying conventions. Now, of the 27 amendments we've had in history, 26 of them went to uh, to the state legislatures for ratification. That's because most of the people at a convention, <coughs> excuse me, are going to be state legislators. And generally speaking, government people trust government people, right? But once for the repeal of prohibition, it went to state ratifying conventions. State ratifying convention, what is that? Every state might do it differently. Every state will decide. Who decides? The state legislator legislature. So what that means is whether you have ratification by legislature or ratification by state ratifying convention, each one is controlled by the legislature. So either way, it's sort of ratification by state legislature. All right. So now let's talk about the things that people say that they're worried about with one of these conventions. And I'm going to tell you the only argument I hear, and I hear it over and over and over again, is I hear the idea that Mark we're potentially gonna have a runaway convention. You might've heard this, right? Oh, we're gonna lose everything. The left is so good at organizing. They're gonna take over convention and they're going to propose radical things. And those are gonna come out of that convention and they're gonna to go to the states and they're gonna get ratified. And they'll base this argument sometimes on the 1787 convention. And they'll say the 1787 convention was a runaway convention, our constitutional convention. And they say that because they say that the delegates were actually sent there to amend the Articles of Confederation, and instead they tossed the whole Constitution, they violated their own rules, and they got a new Constitution. And here's the reality. The people who tell you that don't know the actual history. I want to be really clear about this. Not Mark's opinion. Actual written history. If you read the actual commissions of the commissioners as sent by the states to the 1787 convention, all but two of them contain language like this. It says the commissioner has any and all authority necessary to render the federal constitution adequate for the exigencies of the union. You can read all about this at conventionofstates.com. So they had full authority. Two delegations did not. Those delegations didn't vote. Right. So this is really important. 1787 was not a runaway convention. When people tell you that it was, you should be insulted. If you think that the founders were incredible men, the framers of the Constitution were incredible men, men of honor and integrity, the idea that George Washington, the sitting president of that convention, 
at Madison and Adams and all these people, Franklin and George Mason, that all of them would have violated the sacred trust imbued in them by their states and done whatever they wanted, that's an outrageous slander. It doesn't make any sense. Washington, known for his honesty and integrity, just said, ah, I don't really care what the states think. We're going to do whatever we want. Of course, that's not what happened. It's not the real history. And people are lying to you or mistaken when they tell you that 1787 was a runaway convention. Now, could we have a runaway convention today? Let's figure out first where that argument comes from. I want you to always understand the history of any argument you hear. There was no such thing as the idea of a runaway convention until into the 1970s. In 1973, you get Roe versus Wade. You all know that opinion. Chief Justice Warren Burger was the chief justice who signed that opinion. Unfortunately, late in her life, or, or later on in her careers, Phyllis Schlafly asked Chief Justice Warren Burger what he thought about the idea of a convention. Now, a bunch of states were working to call a convention to overturn Roe versus Wade at that time. What do you think Berger would say? It's the seminal decision, liberal, outrageous, unconstitutional decision of his entire career that reshaped our society, in my opinion, in a most evil way, now leading to the termination of 61 million innocent babies. What do you think he was going to say? He said to Phyllis Schlafly of Eagle Forum, that would be a terrible idea. We might lose our beloved constitution in a runaway convention. So he was defending his own position, his court's decision. Unfortunately, Phyllis Schlafly, who I think was a great warrior for life, an amazing woman, she was misled by Chief Justice Warren Burger. They then went on, Burger and his team, to find law professors at Harvard and Yale to write articles about the runaway convention. This is where the idea that there could be a runaway convention actually comes from. And unfortunately, it's convinced a lot of people, about, I would say, 5% of conservatives on the far right, it's my friends, it's convinced them that there could be a runaway convention. The John Birch Society, Eagle Forum, a few other groups concerned women of America, unfortunately, they've bought into the lies of the radical left. You, you don't have to believe me. Really, you don't. The research is there. You can go onto our website. You can search David Horwitz, the greatest chronicler of the American left in modern American history. He was born in a communist family, became a conservative. He's been documenting the propaganda of the radical left the rest of his life. He wrote an article about this on our website saying, this is leftist propaganda to keep conservatives from using the Constitution to save the Constitution. It's outrageous, but this is leftist propaganda. This is how they work. How do we know today that it's leftist propaganda? Again, these things are not my opinion. These are facts. These are history. This is documented. Everything I've told you up to now, full documentation is available. All right, so if you look at the modern era, you look at right now, what's going on right now, every single conservative, nationally known commentator in America who's commented on this has commented in favor. It's Rush Limbaugh, God rest his soul, was in favor. You've got endorsing Glenn Beck, Sean Hannity, Mark Levin, Ben Shapiro, Steve Dace, you name it. All of them endorsing. Pete Hegseth from Fox and Friends endorsing. More people than I can name. Governor Ron DeSantis, America's best governor right now, an endorser. Right? So everybody that you can think of that's a nationally known conservative, if they've talked about this idea, they've spoken in favor of this idea. There are no exceptions to what I just said. Now, people will tell you, I know this guy in Des Moines. I know this guy in this place. I know a guy in New York. Nobody you would know. Nobody any of us would know. It's my Uncle Maury, who's a law professor at upstate New York College or whatever. 
But all these nationally known folks are all in favor. In the legal community, all of the greatest conservative legal scholars, nationally known legal scholars in legal uh, circles who have spoken about it have spoken in favor of it. Right On our legal advisory board, Robbie George from Princeton, Randy Barnett from Georgetown, Mark Levin of Landmark Legal, and, and you all know Mark. He wrote a book about this in support of it. Uh, you've got uh, John Eastman, formerly of Chapman Law. I mean, these are all giants in the legal field, and they're all in favor. Of Rand, uh, um, sorry, Chuck Cooper. Chuck was the 30-year outside litigator for the NRA, litigating on behalf of Second Amendment rights. All of them in favor. All of them saying that this runaway thing is ridiculous and can't happen. So the question is, who are you going to believe? Right? Who are you going to believe? All these guys who you know, who you trust? Or are you going to believe some people who say some stuff, who've bought into the lies of the left? So those are all the people on the right. And then it's important to know who your enemies are, right? Like, I think this is really important. It's just as important to know who's in support as who's against. So I'm going to say something that sounds outrageous. Every single radical, communist, Marxist, baby-killing, government-growing, tyranny-imposing, leftist group in America is opposed to this. Every one. There are no exceptions. In fact, they all signed a press release. You can see this on our website as well. You can go search 230 organizations, just 230 organizations on our website. You'll find the article. They signed a press release. It was led by Common Cause and Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, both Soros organizations. It's Planned Parenthood. It's La Raza. It's MoveOn.org. It's Code Pink. It's every public employee union in America. It's all of them. It's all the bad people, all the people that you don't like, all the people that are working hard to destroy America, all the people trying to impose Marxism, all the people promoting the killing of babies up to nine months in the womb, basically infanticide, they're all opposed to this. So if you have friends who are opposed to this, you can legitimately ask them the question, like, I don't get it. Why would you be on the same side as George Soros, La Raza, Code Pink, MoveOn.org, Planned Parenthood? It doesn't seem like you would be on that side as a conservative. It seems like as a thinking conservative, you would be on the side of Rush Limbaugh and Mark Levin and Sean Hannity and Ben Shapiro and Glenn Beck and Steve Dace, right? So it's important to know who are your friends and who are your enemies. Now, I'm going to get into the facts of why there can't be a runaway convention. Now, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but all these people I just told you about, they all say there can't be a runaway convention, right? So I'm just going to run through this scenario for you, how it works. really important. See, every state has to pass, 34 states, the same resolution says the same things we're going to talk about in convention. All 34 states have to do this. So the people in the states, they reach out, they get ahead of their state legislators, they tell them, look, we want you guys to call this. We want you to pass this resolution. Same resolution, 34 states. Once 34 states do it, that's the law of convention, right? They're going to get into convention. That's what it says they're going to talk about. The delegates are going to be commissioned by their states to go to convention to talk about those three things. They're going to go to convention. They're going to talk about those things. Let's say some crazy person from California raises their hand and says, uh, I'd like to make a motion that we amend the Constitution to repeal the Second Amendment. Then somebody from Texas or Louisiana, Georgia or Alabama, any conservative state anywhere in the country is going to raise their hand and say, point of order, that's non-germane to the call for this convention. And that person, they're going to be gaveled out of order. Now, let's say I'm wrong. Let's say somehow some weird thing happens. I don't know. The Californians bring a lot of good weed. Everybody's drinking the Kool-Aid, whatever it is. Let's say it, get, it gets past that motion. you got to get 26 states to agree to that. You can't do that, by the way. There are 24 states where you can carry your handgun in a state legislature. 
15 states where you, I believe you can sling your long arm over your back and carry it into the state legislature. And you think you're going to get 26 states to agree to repeal the Second Amendment? You're not. Let's say I'm wrong. Let's say they all go to sleep or something happens. They're in a trance. There's hypnotism used and it gets out of convention and it goes out to the states for ratification. You got to get 38 states to ratify that. As a guy who's been in 48 states in the last few years, I think I've been in 16 states this year. I've been in the state legislatures in most of those states. I'm going to tell you, if you go into one of those states, if you go into Florida, Georgia, Arkansas, Alabama, Mississippi, the Dakotas, the Carolinas, Wyoming, Nebraska, Iowa, Ohio, go into those states and go into the state legislatures and you tell them that you want to find somebody who will carry, you have to have, have them carry this, right, into a committee and out onto the floor a vote to repeal the Second Amendment. I hope you're carrying your firearm if it's legally allowed because you're going to get chased out by a bunch of people who are carrying their firearms, probably legislators. It's ridiculous. I've made this offer to literally millions of people on the air over the years. If you're worried about something, if you have a radical sort of left wing thing that you fear that would come out of convention first, show me the 26 states will vote it out of convention. And then the, the most important one, show me the 38 states that will ratify. Because remember, it takes only 13 states to fail to ratify something, and it doesn't become part of the Constitution. So this idea that we're so afraid that we're not going to use the remedy the founders gave us, it's just cowardice. It's literally cowardice. I'm tired of it. I'm going to call it for what it is, is cowardice. They say what you'll hear is, I'm afraid, I'm fearful, I'm worried, I'm scared. All of these things, I have concerns, right? Thank God that all these people that are so scared of Article 5 weren't the people there fighting for the country in the American Revolution because we'd have lost. And there were, by the way, people like that who were cowards, who were unwilling to fight, who were unwilling to stand. When you ask these people, what's your solution? They'll be like, oh, I don't really have elections. How's that working for us? Right? Or they'll say something like, we should pray. Yeah, we should pray. Oh, we just need to elect better people. Yeah, we should elect better people. And we should keep trying to do that. But that's not enough. The founders gave us Article 5 for a moment just like this. We need to use it. And when I say we, I mean you need to use it. Because <laughs> it's up to you. I'm out there. Five million of us engaged today. You can get engaged. You need to join the COS team. Go to conventionofstates.com. Click on and then go to the take action tab and click volunteer. Become a volunteer. It's not enough. It's not enough to just say you're interested in this. You have to be in the fight. I'm counting on you to be in the fight. All right, I'm going to take a couple of questions before we go. Uh, let's see what we got. Producer G, uh, do we have any good questions? Uh, Patty Robel said, How many states have passed? I already dealt with that. I said 15. Kara Jower said, How was the rally last week in Madison? It was awesome. 150 people, maybe 200 people in the state capitol in the rotunda. It was incredible. Singing the national anthem, singing God Bless America. I mean, it was just really beautiful. Rick Santorum was there, gave a rousing speech. A lot of the legislators came out. It looks good. We look good in Wisconsin. We passed the assembly. I think we have the votes in the Senate right now. A couple of folks, one's out sick, one's out on military duty. When they're back, we should get the vote. Lillian said, Is there a time frame all the states need to call the COS? The answer is no. Time frame is. As long as it takes, I just want it to happen soon. Cliff Matthews said, what can we do to help make this happen? Cliff, join. That's the call for tonight. Join Convention of States. Go to conventionofstates.com. Uh, 
and click the take action tab and volunteer. Last question. Eric Strong wants to know what will change with the convention of states. Can we get rid of career politicians? My answer is hell yes, we can, Eric. We can. We can put term limits on them. We can prevent them from sticking around forever. We can do the same with bureaucrats, the same with staffers. We got to get them to quit telling us what to do, quit taking our money, and quit staying there forever. If you're in, and I know you're in, go to conventionstates.com. Get involved today. Join the COS team. This has been the podcast version of The Battle Cry with Convention of States Action President Mark Meckler. Check out more content at conventionofstates.com slash pod and become part of the solution that's as big as the problem. Thank you for listening.